I want you to say it with me. Pursue, fight, take hold. Pursue, fight, take hold. Let's say it one more time. Pursue, fight, take hold. How many of you know that that opening hymn, which Terry chose today, is actually a hymn of battle? Ah, one. It's a hymn of battle and victory, right? Look at the words. We gather together. We associate it with thanksgiving, and, and rightfully so. That's how it's come to us. It actually comes to us from the Dutch. It was celebrating a victory over the Spanish. But, of course, it transcends history, doesn't it? Look with me, or just listen to the words. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens His will to make known. The wicked oppressing now cease from distressing. Sing praises to His name. He forgets not His own. Beside us to guide us, our God with us joining, ordaining, maintaining His kingdom divine. So from the beginning, the fight we were winning. Thou, Lord, was at our side. All glory be Thine. We all do extol thee, thou leader in battle, and pray that thou still our defender will be. Let thy congregation escape tribulation. Thy name be ever praised, O Lord, make us free. It's talking, of course, about the battle that we all are in as Christians. Sometimes that battle is physical battle, as in the case of history, defending our freedoms, but other times, and more like, more often, the battle is one that goes on inside of us, and it's the battle that St. Paul talks to St. Timothy, the apostle, about today. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle, and so I invite you to open up to our second lesson, the epistle. It's on page 3 in your insert, or you can open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 19. Let's begin at verses 13 and 14 of the passage. So right smack in the middle of it. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll stop there for the moment. What is St. Paul doing? He's charging the young Timothy here to keep the commandment. And if you're a Bible underliner or highlighter, Underline that line. And then ask yourself, to what commandment is he referring? Well, I think we can find it at the end of the first chapter. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Timothy. And think back to what's going on and what St. Paul is writing. Now remember, St. Paul is this apostle who has planted a church effectively in 
Ephesus, and now he's deployed young Timothy to go in his stead and deal with some issues. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, you'll read this. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Holding faith and a good conscience is warfare, friends. Paul is charging young Timothy to fight for and hold to the faith. And that brings us to the commandment in today's passage. To pursue, to fight, and to take hold is the commandment. To pursue, to fight, and to take hold is the commandment. Which actually is how we adhere to the faith. So let's look back at today's passage together. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 13 this time, where Paul writes, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what Paul is saying here to young Timothy and to us by extension is that to fight the good fight of faith, to live the good life of faith, is to pursue, fight, and take hold of these things. Notice, this is not to say that you're earning your salvation. I always want to give that caveat. Jesus has paid the price for your justification upon the cross. And yet part of our salvation is to do these things as his disciples. To pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Well, those are a lot of words, and it's a high bar. What is St. Paul talking about here? Well, in the Greek here, the word for pursue is dioko, which means to chase after, to run after in order to catch. Think of the image of a police car chasing someone in hot pursuit. That's what's being underlined here, right? In hot pursuit of these things. What does Paul say that Timothy's to pursue? Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And what does that mean? Well, let's break it down a little bit. What does it mean to pursue righteousness? It means to have and pursue integrity. Virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking and feeling and acting. Let me say that again. Correctness of thinking and feeling and acting. You see, righteousness, the way the Bible speaks of it, comes from a Greek word, dike, which means justice. But it's not the type of external justice that we think about 
when we hear the word justice, we automatically think of the justice system or judges or something like that. But when the Bible talks about justice, unless it's giving a further definition, when it talks about righteousness, it's talking about the right orientation of the soul, which is to think what is right, to feel what is right, and therefore to act on what is right. This is what our collect today is referring to. People will often ask me, what does it mean to serve God with a quiet mind? That's a strange, quaint turn of phrase in our modern English, right? To serve God with a quiet mind. It means that our mind is well-oriented on righteousness so that we can hear him, so that we can hear him, so that we're not being tossed to and fro, so that we're not being buffeted by all the different things that we have to do, all the worries and anxieties and all of that, right? Rather, that we're to serve him with a quiet mind fixed on what is righteous. All right, let's move on to godliness. What's godliness? Well, the Greek word from godliness is kind of confusing. In one sense, it means what it says, right? To be like God. But a better translation, I think, would be to say piety or piousness, to be reverent towards God. It has an element of humility in it, an element of service in its connotation. To be godly is, excuse me, is to serve God and to pursue those things which are godly with a reverence. We can do this in worship, right? I think that's the easiest way to do it. When we bow before we cross, come to the cross or past the altar, or when we come into the sanctuary, oftentimes we'll bow before entering our pew, right? That's a reverential thing. It's a godliness type of thing that we have in our Anglican tradition. But there's more than that. It's serving God in a pious way, right? And so deferring to him. Do we pursue that? Do we pursue that in what we do? Faith, to pursue faith. I'm not going to preach too much on this because it's something I've talked about often. But to pursue faith is to pursue an active type of Christianity. Right? Faith is a word of action, not a word of passive belief. We don't just sit back and say, I believe in Jesus. But we work our lives around him and around his will. Love one often misunderstood, and again, something I've preached on a lot, agapeo, it is not a love of sentiment or of attraction or affection, as our society defines it, but rather desiring what's best for the other person, first and foremost. Desiring what's best for the other person, agapeo, or agape love, if you've heard of that. To pursue steadfastness. Well, this one should be fairly self-explanatory. It's a loyalty, a dependability, a constancy. Unfortunately, it's something that is less and less seen in the church and in church life, I've noticed. To pursue God with a steadfastness means to take one's commitments seriously. It means to take one's commitments to the body seriously in attendance and service and giving. Also, to, more importantly, to be steadfast in our duty to God first and foremost. 
gentleness, sometimes translated meekness. What does it mean to pursue gentleness? People often reduce this to niceness, right? But that's actually not the gentleness of the Bible. Gentleness is a strong, measured restraint. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is taking it on the chin and sometimes having a stiff upper lip, knowing that what is left unsaid is better. So what does it mean to pursue these things? Well, that is how we live the Christian faith. That's how we live the Christian faith, to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. What St. Paul is doing here is giving an outline to help us. Because all of us, if we're really honest, like to major in certain things and minor in other things, right? We might really like being steadfast, but not like so much being gentle. Or really like pursuing uh, righteousness, but not so much godliness. Next, he says, fight. Fight the good faith, the fight the good fight of faith. And St. Paul tells Timothy that pursuing these things is going to lead into a battle. Look at verse 12. Fight the good faith, fight the good fight of faith. It's a causal connection that if you're pursuing the things that he's talked about, you're going to be fighting. You're going to be fighting against yourself, your old nature, and you're also going to be fighting against the world and the devil. The three things that we talk about at Holy Baptism. Fighting against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Now I've preached before on this as well, in other epistles, that the word fight here is a Greek word, agonizomai. Right? You remember this? Agonizomai. And what word in English does that sound like? Agony. Yes. Father Charlie, probably something you've experienced recently, right? With those burns. Agony. Agony. But this is the idea of contending and fighting. Contending and fighting. It's stronger than contending or competing. Right? Some translations will translate this compete, like in a race. But it's stronger than that. The image here in the Greek is the image of a wrestler striving and putting everything in, of his might into the fight to work till it hurts. To work till it hurts. Fight the good fight of faith. That's what's being said here. And so St. Paul is telling Timothy that this, being a Christian, is not for the weak. It's not for the halfway. It's hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to be agonizing. Sometimes we see this, right? And something as simple as getting up and saying our prayers in the morning, oh, I haven't had my coffee, or in getting our families to church, oh boy, let me tell you, that's hard. That's hard. But it's a fight worth fighting. And finally, take hold. What does St. Paul mean when he says, take hold of eternal life? Again, it's an action word. It means to grab at or to seize it means to pounce upon. It means to be focused on entirely on what God has called Timothy 
to and what he's called us to as well. To hold on to eternal life. To pursue, to fight, to take hold. Paul is charging Timothy to do all this in the faith. Now Timothy is a young bishop entrusted with authority and oversight over this church in Ephesus, as I've said. But the Apostle Paul's charge remains true today to all bishops, to all priests, to all deacons, and to all y'all, to all laity as well. This is a universal charge. Paul's letter to Timothy in Ephesus around AD 60 could have been written to America in AD 2022, as we see with lots of scripture. For today, like in AD 22, there are those, like those in Ephesus, who are saying that the moral law has no force because of love. It's an old trap of the devil. It's called in philosophy antinomianism. It means to, to disregard the law, to disregard morality, or that Jesus abolished morality and the call to be holy. And these people were falsely misleading God's people in Ephesus back then, saying that that didn't matter. If you read back in chapter 1, you see Paul combating this, this lawlessness. These are the things that he lists. Lawlessness, disobedience, murderers, sexual immorality, those who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, the dishonesty, and those who practice profanity. That's the list he gives in chapter 1 for Timothy to fight against in order to maintain the importance of the law. It's also there in 1 Timothy that we're not to be indulgent or decadent or conceited or filled with greed as the rich man is in today's gospel from Luke 16. What's true is that our Lord Jesus what, what is true is that the Lord Jesus and the Apostle Paul, what's true is that they preach is also true today. And there will always be those who preach and act against God's laws, but still claim God's favor. As if the moral law should progress or change or be rethought. But such revisionism is usually done in the name of love or compassion or being pastoral. And it's dangerous. The Christian must not be swayed by such false arguments, particularly Christian leaders, which in the eternal view be, is not being loving and not being compassionate and not being pastoral because it's the eternal view that matters. You see, if we're to take hold of the everlasting life, we have to pursue, pursue and fight. If we're to keep the commandment, we have to pursue, fight, and take hold. There will always be those who preach against such things, who preach a cheap grace or an easy gospel. But that's not the gospel of Scripture. What we're being warned against in today's lectionary readings, and in the gospel passage particularly, is about the person that acts out their Christianity in that cheap grace type of way. For the gospel passage today about Lazarus and the rich man is also found in Amos, in the Old Testament first lesson, where the scriptures teach us, Woe to those who lie on their beds of, of 
who lie on their beds of over and stretch out on their couches and eat and drink sumptuously and are not grieved by the plight of the poor. To be comfortable and complacent in this life is to set oneself up to hear the words of Father Abraham spoken to the rich man in Jesus' story, which should also make us take note. Child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted, and you are in anguish. Paul's main point here is to charge Timothy to take hold of the charge of things that, that apply of things that apply to eternity. Woe to the Christian who disregards the laws of God about morality for self or for others. And woe to the Christian who half-seeks the kingdom of God so that he can be comfortable in this lifetime. Even worse is the Christian or the Christian leader who encourages, encourages other Christians or those outside the church to disregard God's laws and to be comfortable, and not talk about the eternity. As Christians, we can never participate in such lies or proclaim them. And we also can't allow ourselves to be entrapped by them, which is so easy, because the here and now is so enticing in order to give us comfort and pleasure and happiness. But the Christian faith is not just a way to hedge our bets against eternal Hades or against the torment that Jesus talks about in 16.22 of Luke's Gospel. It's not a halfway kind of faith. Like Timothy, God has saved you and me and called us to eternal life. Since you have been saved, notice, he says to Tim Timothy, entirely by Jesus' merit, as you and I have been saved entirely by Jesus' merit, now you and I, along with young Timothy, must pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness, not just happiness, and to pursue these things so that we might be eternally happy, to pursue them, to make them your own. And so the texts, all of the texts today, are once again calling ourselves to a self-evaluation. How am I doing in those areas? How am I doing in those areas? What areas of my life am I pursuing those things? And what areas of those life am I holding back and saying, no, 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 this is not for you, God. This is for me. I need this. I need this to cope. I need this for my own happiness. And I'm not going to turn it over to you. And I'm not going to pursue righteousness, godliness, and all of those things. What parts of our life are we not contending for the faith internally and externally with our neighbor? Contend for the faith delivered to the saints, we're told over and over again. I hope you find me faithful in that job as a clergyman. I take these things seriously from Second Timothy. But I hope you also find yourselves working on them too. Not sitting and loafing being an easygoing Christian that doesn't fight the good fight. For there will be a reckoning. Contend for the faith, dear friends. You and I must contend for it. We must fight for it. We must take hold of eternal life. 
We must seek God's kingdom first and set our minds upon it. That way, as Christians who have been called to eternal life and bought the precious blood of Christ, we can indeed be investing in the things that matter, laying up our treasures in heaven. So I ask you and myself, of course, are you putting effort into these things? And then there's the harder question. Am I putting more effort into these things than I am into my house, into my job, into the food that I eat that's here today or gone tomorrow, or the clothes that I clothe myself with that are here today and gone tomorrow? Am I putting my security in Christ and his kingdom or in things that are very fleeting? As St. Paul completes our epistle, he says this, and I'll just read it to you. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Dear friends, you and I are laying a foundation in this lifetime for the future of eternal life. A future which St. Paul and St. Timothy have now been enjoying for some 2,000 years. Our path is one of peace and contentment, one of a quiet mind, one of following Jesus, but also it's one of vigorously pursuing, fighting, taking hold, and treating each day as if it were our last. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.